Hear the word of the Lord from Obadiah, the first chapter. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on my Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess his inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in the Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Good morning. Many of you have asked about any kind of service for Marilyn Lang, that dear prayer warrior who's gone to be with her Lord. Uh, there There will be no public service. The family held a private graveside on Friday, but any notes you want to send to Chuck um, would be appreciated. I want to remind you that next week I'll be teaching on gay marriage. It's an opportunity for us to begin to get God's perspective on an issue that's uh, really central and in our land these days, and we need to understand a Christian perspective of that tough issue. So come back next week and appreciate your prayers for that message as well. On July 19, 2009, Staff Sergeant Jesse Cottle of the U.S. Marine Corps was on patrol with his platoon. He thought the way had been cleared. He was following some of the other soldiers in his platoon. They thought, he thought they'd cleared the area of IEDs which are improvised explosive devices, but unfortunately, he stepped on a pressure plate. It exploded, and he lost both his legs immediately below the knee. It's an especially cruel form of warfare that the Taliban uses. You see, they don't put enough explosive to kill a man. They simply want to cripple or maim a man so that the entire platoon will have to help him get to safety and be taken out of action. It's a very cruel form of warfare. We Christians sometimes forget that we are at war. (laughs) And we have an enemy who's out to cripple us, who is cruel, who wants to make us ineffective, who wants to get us out of the action. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This 
world wants to squeeze us into its mold, conform us to its values and its ways of thinking as a way to cripple us, as a way to render us ineffective as believers. If we buy into the values of the world around us, we will be ineffective. In 1 John chapter 2, John talks about the world and he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. It's foolish to love the things of the world because this world is passing away, he says. You see, the world wants to, again, conform us to it, cripple us so that we are taken out of the battle, so we look like the world around us. But he says, this world's passing away, so why in the world would you want to put your trust in a world that is being wiped out? Today we finish our summer series in the Minor Prophets with the book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's a little book that's seldom preached. I doubt if you've ever heard a message on it. (laughs) But it's a powerful book that reminds us of our hope in God's judgment on this world, that God will deal with this world. And it's a powerful book that challenges us as believers to not live for the things of the world but to truly give ourselves to the kingdom of God, this kingdom of God that is already invading this world through the lives of those who trust the king and that one day will be fully inaugurated here on earth in the new heavens and the new earth. The end of the world is coming. This world is passing away. So the challenge is for us to live for this true kingdom of God. Pray with me. Lord, as we consider these values of the world that tend to conform us, cripple us, make us ineffective, we confess that we are so easily swayed by the world's values. We repent, Lord, and we ask that today your word would penetrate so that we might truly begin to be changed and learn more what it means to live for your kingdom and not for this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've read the book of Obadiah, on the surface, it's it's a statement about judgment on Edom. Edom is a small country to the southeast of Israel in biblical times, uh, to the south and east of the Dead Sea, out in the desert area. It nearly always was in conflict with Israel, but... It's interesting to me why an entire book about Edom, this little, fairly insignificant country in the time of Israel. In fact, nearly every prophet talks about judgment on Edom. Why is Edom so significant? What's so special about this other country? There are many other countries that were much more powerful and did, on the surface, much more damage to Israel. But when you look at the history throughout the Old Testament of Edom, you begin to see a clearer, more significant picture. The, the history of Edom began in the womb of Rebekah. Remember that? Jacob and Esau were the two children in her womb, and it says even in her womb, these two children struggled and they fought in the womb. And then they had conflict when they came out of the womb, and there was that event where 
Esau had been a hunting and he was starving and Jacob had made some stew, some red stew, and Edom said, I'll sell you my birthright if you give me some stew, Esau said. And so from that point on, he was called Edom as well as Esau. Edom means red. So when you hear Esau, Edom, they're the same, same individual, same person. But that's just where the conflict began. You remember when Israel was freed from Egypt and they were in the wilderness and Amalek came and killed some of the stragglers and took them away. And so there was a big warfare there in the wilderness, Amalek attacking. You know who Amalek was? He's the grandson of Edom, of Esau. Amalek descended from Esau. He was an Edomite. In Numbers 20, when they were trying to enter the promised land, the nation of Edom that was there said, no, you can't come through. There was conflict there. David and Solomon had big wars against Edom. In the book of Esther, remember Haman, evil Haman, who wanted to destroy all the Jews of the Babylonian Empire, not just Mordecai, but the entire Jewish population. Guess who Haman was? We're told he was an Agagite, which is a direct descendant of Edom, of Esau. Then we go all the way, the conflict continues, but all the way to the New Testament times. When the Magi came to King Herod the Great, and they said, where is this baby to be born, the Messiah? And he said, he asked his wise men, and they said, in Bethlehem. And... After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary took him. They fled to Egypt. King Herod killed all the infants in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Guess who Herod was descended from? Esau. So you can begin to get a picture that Edom represents far more than just this little nation. In fact, Edom is representative of life without God. Edom is representative all of all the world offers us. This world system is against us. We are at war with it. We live in a world that is anti-Christ, that is anti-God, and it's out to take us out of the battle. It's out to cripple us. It's out to maim us. So the whole body of Christ is rendered ineffective. So this little book of Obadiah, as it deals with Edom, it really deals with God's plan for the world and what he will do to deal with this world system that is against God. This little book of Obadiah gives us what Paul Harvey described as the rest of the story. (laughs) Obadiah was written in about 570 B.C., as far as we know. Israel in 586 B.C. B.C. had been wiped out by the Babylonians. And we're told in this book and in other places that the Edomites mocked Israel as they watched Babylon wipe it out. In fact, not only did they mock it, but as the Israelites were fleeing for their lives, they captured them, they turned them in, they killed some of them. And then when they were gone, they came in and they plundered Jerusalem and the land of Israel. They were great enemies of the nation of Israel. Imagine how that felt to the people of God. Here's the Edomites mocking them, taking advantage of them when they were down at their worst. 
rejecting them, always against them, always out to defeat them, always looking for a way to wipe them out. I think we can feel like that today as believers, as we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to our Christian faith, as the values of this world slide further and further from our biblical values, as our church influence has continued to slide more and more, so we have less and less influence on this world, less and less of a voice. And it can feel like for us as believers as, as though the world is winning. The world system which is against us is getting its way. The world says, I deserve better. Live for yourself. Be self-sufficient. I need to take care of myself. And the challenge is, as we'll see in the book of Obadiah, is that that's a foolish way to live and that we as believers must not live as the world does around us. In fact, if you choose to live the way the world does, you will end up broken, crippled, selfish, hardened, unattractive. So in these early verses, the first nine verses, the prophet Obadiah lays out what are the values of the world that we need to watch out for. The idols of the world, the values that will suck us in if we're not careful. And in fact, I think have crippled the church in America over the years. What are these major idols? I want to look at five. First is the idol of pride. Listen to verses 1 through 4. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, the Lord says. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. First of all, God says, I will judge Edom and ultimately this world system for its pride. That's the essence of the world system, isn't it? Pride. I don't need God. We can do it on our own. I can do it on my own. I can be self-sufficient. I can live without God. And Obadiah describes living in the clefts of the rock that Edom in its arrogance said, I can handle life because I'm protected. I'm safe. <laughs> I'm hidden in the cleft of the rock. The major cities, the three major cities of Edom, Petra. Some of you have been to Petra? Anybody here? Is, yeah, a number of you have been to Petra. It's way up in the mountains, in the rocks. You've got to go through a long, narrow gorge to get to the city. Timon, Bozrah, the other major cities of Edom, they were all in inaccessible rock places and it says in their arrogance they said ha, no one can get to us no way we're safe they were surrounded by high mountains inaccessible and then it says uh, like eagles which soar you think no one can get to you I one time watched two eagles as they soared as they took off and then they began to soar and they never flapped their wings once either one of them but they were 
flying in a circle. They caught a thermal and they went higher and higher and they went so high I completely lost sight of them. Uh, That's what he's describing. And he says, that's the way Edom is. That's the way the world system is and it's pride. And God says, oh yeah, no matter how high you get, I look down on you. (laughs) I am above you. And I will make you small and little and humble. I will bring you crashing down to earth. Pride is the essence of this world system. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, describes that. The greatest sin is pride. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity, not only between man and man, but enmity to God. You see, pride divides us from God and from others. But think about Edom and think about our world. Our world exalts pride. The proud, the self-sufficient, those who don't need God, those who don't need a crutch, those who can handle life on their own. Our world exalts those kind of people. And God's judgment, what does he say? I'll bring you down. I'll humble you. In a few years, within probably 10 to 15 years of when Obadiah gave his prophecy, Edom was defeated and destroyed by Babylon. It didn't take long. It's easy for God. No matter how arrogant we are, no matter how high a tower we build like the Tower of Babel, saying we can do it on our own, God will always judge. You know, here in America, one of our greatest sins, I think, is pride. We exalt the proud people, people who are self-sufficient, who can make it on their own. And God's statement about the proud he will humble the proud the second value or quality idol that God will judge Edom for is for its materialism it's materialism verses 5 and 6 if thieves came to you if plunderers came by night how you've been destroyed would they not steal only enough for themselves if grape gatherers came to you would they not leave Gleanings, but how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. Notice the picture there that God's using. He says, you know, you know, even if thieves came, they would only take a few things. Grape gatherers would only take some and leave some of the rest. But when I am done with you, it'll all be gone. Edom had big copper mines. They depended on their trade. They were famous for their wealth in Obadiah's day. What a picture of the world in which we live, isn't it? Which tends to depend on wealth and money. We find our security in our bank accounts, in our possessions, in our houses, in our things, rather than in God. And 
Jesus said, you cannot, it's impossible to serve both God and money, and yet we struggle with it in our culture, in this American culture in which we live. It's so difficult to not live a materialistic lifestyle. But God's challenging us, like He's challenging Edom, to say, I will judge those who live that way. I will wipe out the things you depend on. My uncle lived for money. He lived by stock market, whatever he could get, and he acquired money. And I, I was struck as a child. I didn't like being around him because he was always hard and cold, kind of mean. I didn't understand that until I read Psalm 115, verse 8, where it says, those who make idols and who trust in idols will become like them. You see, when we trust in money, we become like cold, hard cash. Our hearts get hardened. We're not able to love others and care for others because we must take care of ourselves when we live for money. So God says, I'll plunder it all. <laughs> A thief would leave some, but I'm going to take it all away. The world says, you've got to live for money. You've got to have security. He who dies with the most toys wins. God says, you know what? There will be no hearses pulling a U-Haul trailer, right? <laughs> you can't take it with you. There's no way. Money will always, always let you down. God says, I will make sure of that. So God says, I will judge Edom and the world for its materialism. I will also judge the world, he says, for its dependence on people rather than me on people rather than me. Verse 7, All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. God says, Hey, think about your allies. They're all going to betray you. Even when you eat a meal, and this is the most intimate of settings in the Scriptures, when you're eating a meal with someone in this trusting environment, Suddenly you find out they've set a trap underneath you. There's like a trap door and you fall through and you're held captive. He says that's what it's like when you depend on people rather than God. The world wants us to get our security from people, from status, from image, from what people think about us more than from God. And we keep getting that driven into us by our world. It took me years to really understand how much my life was consumed by trying to get my own father's approval and how God had to reveal that, help me repent of that because I was depending on that rather than on God. And we all struggle with that, don't we? Well, that's one of the values of the world. We look to people for life rather than God. And God says, here's what I will do with that. I will make sure that when you step on that pressure plate, it doesn't work. It won't hold you. In fact, it will cripple you. People will always let you down. The fourth value that we see Edom being judged for, that God will judge Edom for, is its worldly wisdom. Edom had its wise men that they depended on, and God is judging that. He says... 
I will take care of that. I will take care, wipe out, take away your wise men. You see, the world around us, that's one of the key values of our world is, right? Knowledge, it's the answer to everything. You just need to know more. If we just understood more, if you go get another degree, maybe you'll figure out life. If you... If you you just read more on the Internet, you know, if you just depend on all these other things, don't trust what God says. That's an old, outdated book. Rather, trust in the university professors who are, many, many of them are anti-God. Trust in the experts. Trust in the Internet. Trust in your media. (laughs) Pretty foolish, huh? And God says, how foolish that is. I will judge that. I'll destroy your wise men because they don't understand reality at all. Uh, it's the old story, and I've told it before, and you, you know it, but it uh, comes out of the Far East, of the four blind men that are trying to describe an elephant. And the first one feels the side of the elephant and says, an elephant's like a wall. And the second one grabs the trunk and says, no, 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 an elephant is like a snake. Third one grabs a leg and says, no, no, an elephant's like a tree trunk. Last one grabs the tail and says, no, 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 an elephant's like a rope. All of them are completely inadequate. They don't understand reality at all. And yet that's, that's what men are like. That's what humanity is like. We do not understand reality. And if you want, uh, want to understand reality, the big picture where everything fits into it, it's in the scriptures. Read the word. Spend time in the Word. God will judge the world for depending on worldly wisdom instead of depending on what He says about man, about God, about reality, about this world. And then finally, God will judge this world for its dependence on military might. Verse 9, And your mighty men, your warriors, your soldiers, shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Edom and our world around us says, the one with the most weapons, the one with the most power, the one with the biggest army can dictate to the rest of the world. Military might is what we must depend on. It's the answer to everything. Our government is about to bomb Syria. It can't fix things. Military might, our attempts at the last 50 years, different countries we've gone, on, gone into. Is the world a safer place when you depend on military might? No. And so God says, if you depend on military might, I'll simply slaughter your armies. If you look at all these values we've talked about, pride, materialism, depending on people, worldly wisdom, military might, they are the key values of this culture in which we live. They are the key values of America. And folks, this is a challenge to us, isn't it? Because... Obadiah teaches us, look, God's going to wipe all that out. He, if we depend on those things, we will simply be crippled 
as believers. Because the world is out to do us harm. It does harm to others and manipulates and takes advantage of others. And the result is we end up living as enemies of God who calls us to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. In the next few verses, I won't take time to read it, but in verses 10 through 14, Edom is condemned for how it's treated Israel, the people of God of its day. And ultimately, that's what happens when we live by the world's values is we do harm to other people because we're living selfishly. We're living like the world around us and we end up doing harm to others around us. And it's not what God God made us for. He made us to love Him and to love others. So what a challenge. All the values of the world will be destroyed in the end and can't bring you life. So he says, don't put your weight on the world. If you put your weight on the world and its values, it will only do you harm. It's an enemy. It's against us. It's out to render us ineffective. It will cripple us in the end. But these last few verses, verse 15 through 21, describe this coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, and its encouragement to not live by the world's values, but rather live by the values of the kingdom of God. And I just want to highlight three qualities that we see in these verses of the kingdom of God to encourage us to live by the kingdom's values. Verse 17 says, In Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. The people of God, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the place where God's people dwell, the people of God shall be holy. Holy. See, the first characteristic of this kingdom who's already here, God's expanding it in our lives, but one day it'll be fully realized is holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that word holy and it just sounds pious and out there and somebody who's walking around with a halo and You can't really talk to them because they're just so unreal. (laughs) But that's not what holiness really is. It's a wonderful word that describes someone in whom God is working. God is changing. God is transforming to help their life more conform to who God is. Jesus was holy, and yet he hung out with the people who are tax gatherers and sinners and they loved being with him. He, he loved them. They loved him. You see, holiness has to do with God expressing his life through you so that you love God and you love other people. Isn't that a better picture of holiness? And that's the characteristic of the kingdom of God. Each time we submit to God instead of, instead of following the world, each time I turn over part of my heart to him and put away the values of the world, there's an increasing holiness, an increasing attractiveness. Another word you could use is wholeness. What we all long for is that wholeness to be what God created us to be in proper relationship with Him and able to give our life away for others. Each time we submit to God, we become more like Him. We are more whole. Second quality of the kingdom of God is that we actually are experiencing our inheritance. These last few verses describe 
possessing different parts of Israel, of the nation of Israel, possessing the land, possessing surrounding nations, possessing the Philistines and Edom, etc., etc. What's, what's he really getting out here? Well, in the Old Testament, our inheritance, what they longed for was to have a land, the promised land, right, where they can dwell in peace. But it's interesting, that promise is never given in the New Testament other than the promise of heaven. But when it talks about an inheritance in the New Testament, it talks about our own souls. That as I turn over more of my life to Him, I possess more of Him. You see, our inheritance as New Testament believers is Him and ultimately heaven. So he says, you can possess that now. Even now, we are possessing our, our inheritance as we learn to submit to him more and more. A characteristic of the kingdom of God is that we are learning to rest more and more in his life in us. To trust him and experience the fullness of his life and then look forward to that marvelous day when we will be in the new heavens and the new earth and our ultimate inheritance will be fully and completely ours. And then the third characteristic of this new kingdom is in verse 21. Saviors or deliverers shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The third characteristic is that we shall reign. We are those deliverers he's talking about. We shall reign in life. We shall reign ultimately over the nations. Now, I don't pretend to fully understand what that all means, but Romans 5 says, those who have learned to not be enslaved to sin, but have learned to submit their lives to God's righteousness, reign in life. You see, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're learning to be able to take control of life as we submit to Him and His kingdom. And then this marvelous passage in Revelation chapter 5 describes us as it talks about this kind of reigning in life. In Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 9, it says, They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. This is us, folks. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We will be given more and more authority by our Lord. It's His kingdom. But we are given more and more authority here on earth, it says, as we learn to submit our lives to Him and not live by the world's values, but by the values of the kingdom of God. Edom is quite a picture of the world and its values. This world, God says, is going to be wiped out. Its values will be destroyed, be taken away. This world is passing away. And though it may look like it's winning and that the kingdom of God is losing, open your eyes to the true reality. Let Obadiah expand your mind to understand the kingdom of God is winning. <laughs> and in the end, it will win. It may cripple us for a time, but it will not win. I want to show you a picture. 
as we close. As I said, Sergeant, Staff Sergeant Jesse Cottle was, lost his legs when he stepped on an IED. But this picture was taken recently. You may have seen it. It's kind of gone viral on the Internet. <laughs> you see, Jesse put his faith in the Lord. And if you ever hear an interview that really talks about his life, you realize he's a strong believer in Christ. A few years ago, I met Jesse and his current wife, Kelly. Got to know them a little bit. They got engaged. We did premarital counseling, and I had the privilege of officiating at their wedding almost exactly a year ago in San Diego in August 2012. You can see from the photo that God has restored him, yes? The IED crippled him for a time, but God has restored him. You see, he walks, <laughs> was with prosthetics, but he walks ultimately with the Lord and his life is healed. It's an encouragement to us that we may have been living by the world, we may have been crippled by the world, but as we turn to the king, he will restore life. The Taliban did not win in the end. God did. The world will not win in the end. God does. So it's a challenge to us as believers. Will we follow the Lord, reject the world and its values, and choose to live for God's kingdom? This world is passing away, so why would we want to live for it? And then secondly, will we put our hope in this coming kingdom with Abraham and with all the saints, the true saints throughout history? And I just want to close this by reading part of Hebrews chapter 11 that reminds us of these saints who lived for a city that was to come. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they're seeking a homeland. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, God has prepared for us a city. The kingdom of God is now here. We can live in that wholeness to some degree now, but we can look forward to that kingdom that is to come. So let's not live by this world and its values, which will cripple us and keep us from loving God and others. And let's learn to live fully completely for the kingdom of God. Pray with me. Thank you, our Lord, that you reign. You are the king. And Lord, our hearts so often get caught up in this world. We get entrapped, ensnared. 
But Lord, may we live for your kingdom. May we experience that wholeness that you long to give us. The inheritance that we can begin to experience now. The reigning on earth that you long for us to begin even now. May we live for the kingdom that is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.